Good morning. My name is Crystal Bauer, and this morning our scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 12, 21 through 27 and 31. And I'll be reading from the New International Version. If you'd like to follow along, and your Bibles are on the screen. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent one. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Peter. I am one of the pastors here. Uh, Today we're going to... Talk about this topic that I'm calling multi, uh, and then there's sort of a blank space after it. We've talked about mission, ministry. Last week, Julie talked to us about management, and today we'll talk about uh, multi-focusing in on uh, the idea that there are many of us, and there are many different kinds of us uh, that are called together to be what the scriptures call the body of Christ, And so differentness is the topic today. Next week, we'll talk about the topic of unity. And the two points that i like us to cover today, the first one is you are so weird, uh, parentheses, and so am I. And then the second point is I love you, uh, parentheses, bro. Now, I just put uh, the word bro in there because I read this fascinating little piece this uh, past week about how helpful the word bro has been in the ways that it allows guys to express affection towards each other. Like normally we wouldn't say, I miss you. But with the word bro, it's, hey man, I missed you, bro. All of a sudden it's okay. Or I, we don't say, I love you to each other, but I love you, bro. That works. And so there you go. You are so weird and so am I. And I love you, bro. Okay, first, you are so weird, and so am I. Start with verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Uh, I want to start off with a little uh, history leading up to this uh, picture behind me. Uh, In the 1970s, there was a movement that started, and this is just my take on the history of uh, this whole thing. Uh, In the 70s, there started a movement uh, that came to be called post-modernity. And uh, I think the best sort of really insightful short uh, piece on it is by a man named Edward Dox, if you want to look it up, D-O-C-X. 
uh, and the article is titled, Postmodernity is Dead. And uh, he describes postmodernity in this way. He says, the movement rose up as a way to give voice to the minority and to the lesser and the weaker. And so it's a, a, a way to flatten the world. And uh, it's a way to sort of say everything is valid. Even if you are poor, even if you're not the majority race, even if you're not the authority that we expect to hear from, your voice is still valid. Uh, But what he also says in there is that if everything is valid, okay, you think about this now. If everything is valid, then he says, well, then nothing is valid anymore. If what everybody has to say is just as important, then nobody's actually listening anymore. Uh, Ravi Zacharias, who's one of my favorite philosophers and speakers, he calls this the universal solvent. It can't exist for very long because it will, uh, in short time at the least, dissolve even the container that's holding it. Right, you think about that for a second. Can a universal solvent exist? Can it be contained? And the answer is no, because it's universal. It'll dissolve everything. Um, and so the way it sort of transformed, uh, Edward Dock says, uh, is it's become a society crying out for two things. One is authenticity. We want what's real. We want what's authentic. If you ask anybody, Christian or non-Christian, what's the most important value? What's the most helpful trait? And they will often say it's authenticity, truthfulness, transparency, and it's a very close cousin, tolerance. Okay, they want to be able to tolerate everything and everyone, and uh, really the place of truth has diminished quite a bit. But According to Ravi Zacharias, we're beginning to see these two traits begin to dissolve itself. Uh, for example, there is a movement against, not against authenticity, but talking about authenticity. Because as soon as you say, well, you know, we want to be authentic, then you're not being authentic anymore because you're being self-conscious about it. It's not true and in the moment. It's like planning to be spontaneous. And I know some of you are so structured, you have to plan in spontaneity. Uh, and then uh, tolerance, because tolerance is dissolving itself because you can't be tolerant of absolutely everything because now we realize tolerance is intolerant of intolerance. Isn't that the great fear here in America is to be labeled intolerant? I mean, companies are bending over backwards to not be labeled as intolerant. God forbid. And then you have to be ironically authentic, sort of unaware, authentic. Can we do it? And uh, I think authenticity and tolerance have become a bully that's sort of beating itself up uh, to, into self-destruction. Uh, There's a really great uh, article that I read recently in the New York Times called The Epidemic of Facelessness. And it says when everybody has a voice, nobody has a voice anymore. Nobody's listening. Nobody cares what you're posting on Facebook because there are too many posts to go through. And so if you want to read up on it, uh, that's the title of that. 
Now, the way we experience this here in America, we're still in the history piece here, is uh, and allow me to be a little bit offensive to you. Uh, I think it'll resonate as true. Uh, the first thing I want to say as way of offense is I think it is an incredibly uncomfortable time to be a white person. Because uh, we talked about that voice, how there is validity to every voice, to any voice. Well, there's a, a sort of a conservation of voice validity. And so if the minority's voice is valid, where does that validity come from? Where it gets shared from the validity of the white voice. And so that's been sort of being cut down a little bit, but the minority voice validity has been going up. It's sort of the conservation of validity over there. Uh, And it's uncomfortable in the same vein to be a Christian. In fact, I would go so far as to say it's an uncomfortable time in our history to have an opinion. Because if you do, what are you? Are you a bigot? Are you narrow-minded? Are you anti-intellectual? How dare you not remain perpetually open to new information? How can you take a stand at all? And then, true to form, dissolving itself, anxiety level of society is going up, and the fear of litigation is skyrocketed, and nobody can actually say anything or do anything or not tolerate anything without fear of persecution or litigation. Do you feel that in society? Is our anxiety level high? I'm telling you, it's hard to be a guy these days. And when I'm in the playground with my kids, I will not help any other kid, even if they fall flat on their face and they're covered in blood. (laughs) Out of fear that I might be labeled something or accused of something. It's a highly anxious time. And primarily it's because I'm male. Because again, as women, the validity of women's voices are going up, what's happening? That has to come from somewhere. It's coming from men. So that's sort of, I think, the history and the experience of what's going on. I think 50 years from now, we're going to look back on this time period and we're going to say it was all a process of becoming diverse as a nation and as a world. As the world is getting flatter and as access increases, we are more and more familiar with things that we never would have encountered 20 years ago. It's an amazing time to be alive. Anybody know what um, this picture is behind me? Say it out loud. Emojis. Did you know that it's a Japanese word? It's actually two Japanese words that have been put together. Uh, It means uh, picture and then letter. So it's picture letters. And people use these in text messaging to communicate a thousand words because it's a picture. You can create, uh, communicate something that's three-dimensional through a two-dimensional format. And it used to be just fun. It was just sort of a creative way to use letters of the alphabet to create faces. Like you can use the equal sign and the uh, closing uh, parentheses to make a smiley face. And then they started making actual smiley faces. And then it got all personal and political because of our culture. High anxiety, low tolerance for anything that's actually saying something. So we couldn't just have a white face or a male face. We had to have all different kinds of faces. We couldn't just have three shades. We had to have six shades. And there's a movement to push for even more shades than this. 
What do you think about this? What do you think about this whole hot mess that we call America these days? So let me ask the question as it pertains to us. Um, are people all the same? No, people are very, very different. I don't know if you've experienced this yet in your life. Depends how old you are. Uh, I went through a phase in my life when I was constantly surprised at how weird people are. <laughs> For like decades, I was surprised <laughs> at how weird people are. And, and now I'm just a little bit less surprised. <laughs> My expectations that you are a weirdo are just about appropriate. Because <laughs> I just assume you are so weird. You are. You are so weird. And so am I. I am so weird. Uh, I encountered this with my wife Susie when we were first engaged. I was in the East Coast. She was in the Midwest. I flew to Chicago for the first time, and I was going to run a uh, wedding planning errand together. She was driving her father's uh, forerunner, Toyota forerunner, and I was sitting in shotgun. And I, I just felt this huge relief that this girl wasn't going to run away from me like she had been doing, but she was actually going to uh, marry me because we were engaged. She was wearing a ring. She was mine. And so a little bit of my true color started showing through. And that year, uh, I had happened to have just watched a movie that had come out that year called G.I. Jane uh, with Demi Moore as the star. And for some reason, the scene, I don't even remember it now, but a scene from that movie got stuck in my head and I just started acting it out without any solicitation or context. And she just looked at me like, who are you? What are you doing? And I remember she said to me, you are so weird. And I said, Susie, come on, do this with me. Be weird with me. If we can't be weird with each other, what's the point? You are so weird. I'm going to give you some principles. The first one is, generally, I am better than others. Just kidding. That's a, a joke. Okay, here's the first real one. Okay, I want you to repeat this after me. Ready? Everyone is not like me. I don't know how many decades it's going to take for you, but at some point in your life, you're going to have to come to terms with this truth that everyone is not like you. There is a perpetual otherness to the other. Even if you think you know you married a certain person, they change as soon as they're married. Because now the key's thrown away, the door is locked, nobody's going anywhere. Ah. And then they start changing because life happens to everybody. And then you're changing, but you've underpredicted how much they're going to change. And you've underpredicted how much you're going to change. And you have completely missed how you're going to react to each other. And the very traits that you thought you were marrying the other person for begin to become the greatest source of your annoyance towards that other person. It's true. As my mentor used to say, Peter, marriage is a crapshoot. You just don't know. That's why it's also a commitment. If it wasn't, you wouldn't need the commitment. You would choose each other every single day. 
Okay, second principle then. Compatibility is a myth. This is my own personal theory. I think I have uh, sufficient uh, rationale and research to back this up. But you're entitled to your own thoughts about this. But I want to suggest to you that the sheer amount and degree of differentness is absolutely overwhelming. That what you thought, what you believed, what you hoped would be points of compatibility actually turn out to be the thing that grades on you. I often have this thought with, with uh, Susie. We're going on an evening walk, and we do this almost every night with our dog. That's when we process our day together. And uh, uh, regularly I'll say, Susie, you know, when you ask me to do that thing for you, I just thought, what a silly woman. Like, she had the whole day to do it, and she picked the most inconvenient time to ask me to do it and put me in a position where saying no would feel bad and saying yes would feel bad. Why would she put me in that position? And then I have this thought. If she had asked me to do this back in college, I would have given my left arm for it. To spend time with her? To get to do that with her? How amazing that would be. That would have made it into my journal entry that night. And yet here I am, the very thing I would have given a body part for becomes a great source of annoyance I have to debrief with about on our evening walk. I think compatibility is mostly a myth. And then here's the final principle I'd like us to land on for this point. I need contradiction in my life. Where I get this from is this. Paul says in this letter, can the head say to the hand, I don't need you? And what's the answer? You can't say that because the, the very point that makes the eye and the hand relevant is their difference. If we had a hand growing out of our left eye socket and then we have these two other hands, we don't need this other hand. But the reason the hands need the eye is because they're different. They function differently. They have different gifts that they bring to the body. And so what we understand is that the closer we actually get to somebody, the more we begin to see the otherness and the differentness of the other person. And that's when you begin to realize, oh, I need this person precisely because they're different than me. When I am shocked and surprised again by the strangeness and the weirdness and the annoyance of the other person, that's precisely the evidence I needed to say, oh, that's right. I need you. I need you. You do. You need weird people around you. That's what intimacy is about. And I would suggest to you that if you don't experience uh, a lot of contradiction in my life, you may have intimacy issues. You may be somebody that's not coming close enough to other people. You may be keeping people at bay. To come to a place where you're locked in enough with each other and you're close enough to see the strangeness of the person, that's the beginning of love. Great movie to watch that illustrates this point is The Stafford Wives. 
Uh, now, the question then that we ask is, can we be different and function well together? Is that possible? Are older people different than younger people? Yes. Answer is yes. Do older and younger people have different things that they bring to the table? Yes. Can older people say to younger people, I don't need you? No. Can younger people say to older people, I don't need you? Of course not. They need each other precisely because they are different. Can men say to women, I don't need you? No. Because they're different, they need each other. Being compatible is not the same as being complementary to each other. The very fact that we're different allows us to be complementary, not necessarily compatible. Do adults and kids need each other? Yeah, they need each other. Can rich people and poor people and middle people get along? Can they get together well? Can they function well together? They have to because they need each other. What about people that age well and white people? Do they need each other? That was a joke. I've had many conversations with people in this church about how Asians and uh, blacks tend to age better than white people. So that was a joke about that. (laughs) What about people that move and clap and worship during church service or people in our church? Do we need each other? (laughs) Can we function well together as a church. And really the question that we're asking is, do we want to do this? Do we want to be different and together? I think the answer is absolutely yes. How do we do that? And I want to tell you the answer is, I love you, bro. Okay, read this with me, and I want you to pay attention to the words that I underlined for us. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, listen, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. And if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And then verse 31, Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent or greater way. I'm going to give you a principle here now that I think is really, uh, initially sounds like I'm overstating it, but I think it's true. You want to know what your life purpose is? Here it is. The purpose of a part, that's you individually, is the honoring of other parts, lesser or greater, same or different. 
So think about that for a second. The reason you exist are for the other body parts. It's not saying you're not important. It's not saying you're not valuable. It's saying that your value and your importance comes in relation to the other parts, in the way that you function in relation to the other parts. That's what God is saying here through Paul in 1 Corinthians. The reason he knit us together is so that we can honor other parts. And you say, well, what about me? That's the job of the other parts. The way he designed it is not that we would honor ourselves, not that we would serve ourselves, but that we would serve each other, lesser or greater, same or different. All of us together, we exist for the sake of the members of the body of Christ. Here's a, uh, another principle. Each part is valuable. Each part is legitimate. Each part is connected to all other parts. Each part has a place. I want to suggest to you, this is what our society is grasping after when they started the whole post-modernity movement in the 70s and this value of tolerance. This is our societal way of trying to find the biblical truth of valuing life for its own sake apart from its ability to add to the body. God is saying even the lesser parts are just as valuable and worthy of honor. And your value doesn't come from the fact that you bring a certain gift. Your value doesn't come from the fact that you are a special body part. You know, pre-Christian, pre-Christianity, people were judged according to their worth financial wealth, their ability to not be a diseased person, not to be a female, not to be a child, not to be old. You had to fit this very narrow definition of what a contributing member of society was. Otherwise, you were easily used up, abused, and discarded. Into that world, Paul writes this letter saying, every part is legitimate and valuable. And you, my friends, your purpose is to honor, to convey and communicate this legitimacy to the other body parts. That's your job. And I'm going to overstate this, but I'd like you to land on this third point. Your value then, therefore, by logic, decreases without the other's needs because you exist to meet their needs. I'm going to qualify that for you in just a second here, but just let this sink in. If you exist for other people, then if you are not serving that purpose, by virtue of you not serving your purpose, your value decreases. They will often pluck out an eye that does not see anymore. Because it's not serving its function. It's not serving the body anymore. Okay, now, but there's verse 31. Now, eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. What Paul is saying there is this. You bring a gift because you are a specific body part. But the gift you bring 
as valuable as it is, it's not as valuable, it's not as excellent as what comes through that gift. And what comes through that gift is all of chapter 13, because this is the end of chapter 12. And what's chapter 13? It's the chapter, the famous chapter on love. Love is patient. Love is kind. And Paul describes love, and he says, you can do everything and give of your whole self, but yet, if love does not come through that, then it's empty. It's worth nothing. Let me explain what this means. This is uh, Martin Luther, uh, who started the uh, Reformation, Protestant Reformation, and on his commentary on Romans, he says this, Our nature, by the corruption of the first sin, being so deeply curved in on itself, and for theologians, this is a very famous phrase, in curvitus ense, that it not only bends the best gifts of God towards itself and enjoys them, as is plain in the works righteous and hypocrites, or rather even uses God himself in order to attain these gifts. But it also fails to realize that it so wickedly, curvedly, and viciously seeks all things, even God, for its own sake. Not only is it self for self's sake, but it's God for self's sake. This is what Paul is saying. Okay, I'm going to bring it, uh, I'm going to say it right here. Verse 27 Paul says, now you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. Now, Jesus is the head of the body. That's what verse 27 is saying. And we are the body. Now, what happens if my hand decides to move apart from direction and coordination from my head? It's self-destructive, right? I'm just spasming then. It's not the coordinated movements of an athlete that's actually accomplishing something that it was intended to do. So it's absolutely imperative that the body move according to the will of the head. If it tries to move apart from the will of the head, then actually it's not doing its job and it's destructive. Even though it's able to move and use the muscles and ligaments and the blood is flowing, it's still destructive. So here is the thing. If you are created to love other people, and you are, and yet you try to exercise that purpose and use the very gifts, the hand being the hand, for example, apart from the coronation of the head, then even though you bring that gift, love doesn't flow through that gift, and you are ultimately causing harm to the body rather than help. That is to say, you, though members of the body, if you are not connected to the head, then you're not actually loving the body because you do not know how to love on your own apart from the direction and coordination of the head. That is to say, you are just an empty vessel, a conduit of God's love. You don't have love on your own. Your heart is not loving. Your nature is not good. You're not a good person. Ultimately, you are curved in on yourself. And your bent is to use yourself, all of your gifts, including the other body parts that you are connected to, for your own selfish, ultimately self-destructive ways. 
You don't have the will and the love to love the body you are called to belong to. The very people that you claim to love will be people that you use and abuse for yourself. In curvitus ense, that's you. Unless you're connected to the head, that is Christ. And his love is able to coordinate and flow through you. No matter who you think you are, no matter what role you're called to play, if you express love at all, the source of that love is the love of God. This is the whole Christian gospel, us coming to a higher power than ourselves and saying, I need you. I cannot love my children or my spouse. I can't direct my own life or give my gifts to this church apart from you. I am a needy person. That confession of need, of saying, yes, I'm a broken person. My body is broken. My will is broken. My mind is broken. My heart is curved in on itself. Coming to that acknowledgement is the beginning of God's love flowing through you. And if you say yes to Christ, it's saying, okay, now you can connect to the head. And you can finally begin to love those around you and fulfill your life purpose. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. And bring your gift, but yet I show you a more excellent way that is. Rather than just exercising your gifts and your skills from your own fleshly strength, which is limited and tainted, When you are connected to Christ, his will and his love begin to flow through you and your gifts. And finally, the hand is doing what it's supposed to do. The eye is doing what it's supposed to do. The foot is doing what it was created to do. Because it's being coordinated through the head that is Christ. So in conclusion, Paul says, There should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have Equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. That is the body finally able to love on each other. Love on itself. Because it's connected to the head and receiving love and direction from the head flowing through the body. And the body is able to be coordinated and work together. In harmony. Can we do this? Can we be connected to the head that is Christ? And not be so attached to our idea of what love is and how things should work. But have a greater will than our own flow through our body parts. And all of us in harmony and orchestration were able to do what we were called to do. Can we do that? Can we give up our selfish ambitions? Can we cease to be curved in on itself? When I was hired at this church, partly I was hired, I was told, because I represented what the church wanted to be. uh, uh, Representing diversity beyond who we have been as a church historically. And we can together better represent the whole body of Christ in this local expression we call Evergreen Covenant Church.
Jesus loved us, his body, and he gave himself for us. He cleansed us with his blood. And he filled us with the Holy Spirit. You know what the Holy Spirit is? It signals from the head. It's showing us how to love, how to be coordinated with other body parts. And he gave us the Holy Spirit to fill our otherwise spiritless bodies. And he denied himself. He embraced the contradiction, the offense that is us, fallen humanity. And he gave himself to our needs by tying himself to a tree to die for us. And all of the sins we have committed against each other is forgiven through the head, through Christ. This is the call to belong to the body of Christ, to say yes to the strangeness of the other person because all of us together are receiving love and direction from the head that is Christ. Would you pray with me? The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And so, God, we start with that prayer this morning that we need each other. Precisely because we are so different. And God, I think apart from us being uh, vessels of your love, we are going to tear at each other. We are going to just mimic society and stop at tolerance or stop at postmodernity. But there's so much greater truth beyond that of unity, of honoring one another, not by our own strength, but by the love of Christ that flows down from the head into the body. God, as this local church, wash us anew with your blood and fill us with your Holy Spirit that we might know how to function, we might know how to love as the body of Christ. We are different, yet we are called to be together. Help us to be so in Jesus' name. Amen.